If you've been following these podcasts, you'll know that both of my goats, Mom and Razzie, have been pregnant. I put them with Billy back in October on the 31st and left him there almost five weeks. Clifton and I watched him closely and it was around November the 8th and 9th that we saw significant activity. Clifton looked at me and I said, well, what do you think? I reckon they're settled, he said, which means bred. A doe's cycle lasts 18 to 21 days, which is why I left Billy in there longer. If he'd failed the first time, he'd have another chance. A large goat's pregnancy lasts about five months. So I wrote down in my day timer on April 9th, baby's due, so we'd be ready. So I watched for telltale signs starting about a month ago. Clifton would ask, what date did you write down? April 9th. Yeah, it's not time yet. Yeah, I know. A couple of weeks ago, he said, did you see Razzie making a bag? Meaning her udder was beginning to swell with milk? Maybe a little. Pretty soon they were both making bags. How soon before they give birth do they make a bag? I asked him. It can be a few weeks or only a day or two, he said. You'd better be ready. I didn't really have much to get ready. I wasn't going to buy a crib or any blankets or toys. And I wasn't going to paint their bedroom. I'd already painted the barn 14 months ago. But I made sure I had plenty of hay and plenty of feed. I took up a bale of wheat straw to put down for bedding and a bale of pine shavings in case they preferred that. There's a shed on the side of the hill where their second pasture is. Clifton built it himself, a structure of wood with rafters and walls on three sides, a dirt floor. When Clifton had goats, I guess over a 20 or 30 year period, the does would come up here to give birth. They'll have their babies up here. They like the dirt floor, he said. Mama started hanging out up there. She took naps in the sun lying in the grass on the side of that structure. So Clifton would ask, are they dilated yet? I don't think so. So on Monday last week, we both noticed that Razzie is dilated. After breakfast, she and Mama both go up and hang around the shed. I go up late afternoon on Monday. Nothing. We're making dinner that evening, and I get a call from Clifton. Where are you? I'm home. Why? You better get over here. You got goats everywhere. You got goats rolling down the hill. Babies? Yeah, babies. All right, we're on our way. Don, let's go. Clifton says we have babies. We jump in the mule and drive over to the pasture. It's dark, dusky dark, as Clifton says. And we see a white blotch under the shed about 15 feet down. We hustle up the hill. Don gets to the baby first. Oh my God, it's still wet. It was just born, she says. There was a hole in the corner of the shed. The dirt under the wall had eroded. And the baby had been born and then shot through the hole. The mama didn't even know what happened. So we get up in the shed. There is another baby, also white, who is nursing on mama. One baby is female and one is a male. Clifton is there and we go to put the baby that Dawn brought up on Mama to nurse. 
we've all assumed two white kids, mama is white, mama is nursing them, thus mama is a mother. I then take a look at Black Razzie. She's now very thin. Then I look at mama. She's still big. Hey, these aren't mama's babies. They're Razzies, I said. But they're white. Oh yeah, you're right. Some nanny goats are robbers. They take another goat's baby, nurse it, and raise it as their own. And Mama is a matriarch of this group. She assumes everything is hers. So Don grabbed the two babies, and I led Razzie down back to the barn. We put them in and locked the door. Mama is not at all happy. She's running around the barn crying and making all kind of a fuss as if we'd stolen her babies. Mama, go up to your shed and go to sleep. These are not your babies. Yours are coming. Now Razzie was able to lick them, nurse them, and bond with them. So we said goodnight, left them separated. The next morning I go down to feed the older ones and check on the babies. Razzie's babies are healthy and already jumping around. She's not very happy being stuck in the barn. In fact, she's in a vile mood toward me and the babies. I chalk it up to hormones. I walk up the hill to the shed, hoping to discover Mama with her own babies. Not yet. She's sleeping. When she gets up, I see that she's still huge. Her udder is big. And she's not happy at all being stuck up here on her own. You know, having two unhappy goats is not my idea of heaven. Before we'd left the night before, Clifton and I had grabbed some boards and blocked the hole at the corner of the wall where the little one had been squirted down. So we didn't have to worry about that anymore. Don and I went down several times to check on the babies and Razzie. Razzie had settled down. Mama was just lying around. This is April 9th. The next morning, we're on our way home from the gym and Clifton calls. He was at the barn. Mama's got babies, a white one and a black one. We put on our regular clothes and head over. Mama's in the shed. There's a black baby with white markings, long ears, beautiful coat, a male. The other goat, still wet, just born, is white, a female. Well, Mama, you did it, Don says. Can I open up the barn and let them get together? I asked Clifton, who's still there. No way, Mama will still attempt to steal the others. They say you have to keep them apart for three to seven days. So Razzie gave birth on the 8th, Mama on the 10th. Average them out and, hey, my forecast was pretty good. Hello, this is Ernie Johnson, owner of Anashira. Thanks to those babies being born, I'll have plenty of fresh, pure goat milk to use for my soaps. More than I need right now. So, go to anashira.com and buy some bars of my handcrafted soaps. Hey, you could buy French soaps. You could go to Nordstrom's and buy a bar of what's called Eau de Soie, scented soap. You look for the ingredients and they list only one, coconut oil. You don't even know what else is in it. You'll pay $40 for a single bar. But 
Try a bar of Paris Nights. Beautifully scented, creamy, soothing. You'll love it, and it won't break the bank. You'll see all the ingredients listed, too. Enter discount code SPRINGSALE15. That's all together, SPRINGSALE15 for a 15% discount. When I left you in my last podcast, I just returned to Oberhausen from West Berlin. Let's go back and see what's happening in this episode of Stories from Anashira. After getting back from West Berlin, I go back to school. Now I've told you how I struggled in many of my classes. Language issues were just tough. And the extra week off with my English group left me even further behind. And the course material was rugged. Oh, I got to tell you something. You can tell you're making real progress in learning a language when you've dreamed in it. Soon after I got out of the hospital, I woke up with vivid images of a dream. And it was all in German. I went down to breakfast that morning and proudly announced to Muti and Fati, Ich habe endlich auf Deutsch geträumt. Finally, I dreamed in German. Outstanding, said Muti. Tell us what you dreamed. Oh man, I was embarrassed. Uh, it's not a dream I can share with you. Muti looked surprised, but Fati looked at me with a smile. Don't worry about it. It's natural for a young man. But to dream in German just shows the progress you're making. I no sooner get back to class than I learn that we're leaving on a class trip with my older class. Every class heads out once a year for a few days at a Jugendherberge, a youth hostel, in some scenic location. We all got in a train for the mountains of Westerwald. We had one teacher, a young man, good guy, and a bunch of us kids. Well... Not kids. We were 18 to 20 years old. We did a lot of hiking and lots of jokes and listened to rock and roll and drank a lot of beer. We went to a local pub a short walk down the hill. My pals were excited. We'd have a typical contest they call Stiefeltrinken, drinking out of a boot. Not a leather boot, but one made out of hand-blown glass. It would hold two and a half to three, three and a half liters of beer, depending. The boot was hollow, even the foot. The rules were simple. One person would drink and then pass the boot on to the next one. Whoever is the penultimate person to drink loses and must buy the next boot of beer, which is not cheap. The difficulty is if you drink and leave so little that the next person finishes it, You're out of luck. So you must carefully estimate your capacity and the one of the next guy. Oh, another challenge is there is a good amount of beer in the foot of the boot. If you get down to that part and leave the toe in the air, it will suddenly all come rushing to your face. So you'll spill the beer and you lose. To control this, You start with the toe down and gradually turn it upward, releasing the beer slowly in in a controlled fashion. And we sang songs, which would get 
a little lustier as the evening wore on. I remember one that went something like this. Adele liebt die Männer sehr und auch die schnellen Tänzer. Aber eines liebt sie noch viel mehr. Es sind die langen, sch schweren golden Ketten, wenn sie doch welche hätte. Adele, Adele, du bist... Da, 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 da. So, of course, I lost fairly quickly. Had to buy the next round. It got a little loud. One would be drinking and you'd hear everyone yelling, Stiefel, 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 boot, boot. I'm a fairly quick learner. I didn't lose again. But poor Thomas, with a small stomach, he had to buy several rounds. The next morning as we sat down for breakfast and buttered our Brötchen, they asked me, So Ernst, do you have school trips like this in California? Nein, gar nicht. Nope. Do you sit around and drink beer out of a boot and sing drinking songs? No, I never did. So we laughed and hiked some more. After a few days of this healthy fun, we went back and they continued with their serious preparations for their Abitur exams, oral and written, which were coming soon. Passing this exam was roughly the equivalent of a junior college degree in the U.S. I was so glad I didn't have to take them. We got back and I continued with my regular life. One Saturday, I walked past a master bedroom and bath. Fatih calls out to me to come in. He is dressed in trousers and one of those typical white German undershirts. My Italian friends call them wife beaters. He shows me the razor he is using, a vintage Gillette safety razor that uses double-edged blades. You see this razor? I took it from a dead American soldier in a tank. You know I was a lieutenant, a lieutenant, in a panzer division, a tank corps. We faced tough battle in the Soviet Union. I was last in a panther, known frequently as a Panzerkampfwagen 5. Later we fought against your allies in France. It was one of the best tanks of the war, excellent firepower and protection. This was a time to ask the question that I'd had in my mind for months. Had he been a Nazi? I couldn't get myself to ask it. But he addressed it himself. I was a simple member of the Wehrmacht, the German army. I am sad to say I had joined the Nazi party as a young man. I'm not proud of it. I was never a fanatic. It did make my life easier at the time. And that's all he said about that. And I didn't ask any probing questions. I told you some time ago that the youngest son of the Adams had gone to the States as an ICY exchange student. He lived with a family in St. Louis that he liked immensely. We got terrible news halfway through our year. His elder guest sister, a college student, whom he'd been very close to, had been murdered. It threw the whole family into trauma. The attention of the press, the investigation of the murder, and the loss. It was all so stressful that Klaus had to leave. ICYE found him another family to finish a year with, but it was never the same for him. 
and the Adams all suffered with Klaus. I felt bad for the kid and realized how easy and comfortable I had it in his house with his family. It was about this time that Ulrich came home from the university in Cologne one Friday. We sat down for coffee on the deck overlooking Fatih's lush green lawn and his beautiful garden. Tomorrow is your birthday, Ernst. What do you want to do? Any special wishes? No, I'm happy just to spend it here with you. Any special food you'd like? Asked Muti. No, anything you make is outstanding. So Uli says, We'll start your celebration tonight with Kai, if you like. Ausgezeichnet, I said. Outstanding. Before we left the house, Uli said, Nimm deinen Pass mit. Bring your passport. I didn't know why. Maybe we'd be going to Holland. But I stuck it in my pocket before we left. We picked up Kai and headed to one of our favorite pubs. We were sitting at the bar, drinking a beer. I was telling Kai about my trip to West Berlin with the young English men and women. He wanted to hear about the girls. I told him how the girls were like the ones you'd see in Swing in London on King's Road or Barnaby Street. Suddenly, Ulrich turned to me. Ernst, dieser Mann hat ein Problem. This man has a problem. He bet me that you are not an American, born in Californian. What's the truth? Doch, ich bin ein Ami in Kalifornien geboren. Hey, I'm an American born in California. Nein, das glaube ich gar nicht, the man said. No, I don't believe it. So Uli says, Ernst, get me a dining pass. I handed him my passport, which he handed to the man. Verdammt nochmal, you got me, he said to Uli. Around for everyone on me. So Uli had bet him that I was an American, and the guy bought around for everyone at the bar. And we pulled this one once or twice a weekend in different places. The people who lost never stayed upset very long, and I met lots of new people. So the next day was my birthday, my first in Germany. In fact, my first away from my American family. Muti said, We're going to have a celebration here tonight for your birthday. We'll have our neighbors here tonight, my sister Tanta Ellie, and you and Uli and Volker and a few other people. So we all got dressed, white shirts and ties and a suit. I dressed like that a lot in those days. Dinner featured some delicacies. We ate Deutsche Speck, German bacon, which was raw and the fat was eaten with great relish. Then one of my favorites, Frisch geräucherte Aal, bereit zum Essen, smoked eel, ready to eat. You bought it by the centimeter, it was so valuable. Take it home, take peace, remove the skin, take the meat from the bones, eat it with any kind of bread, oh, outstanding. Considered one of the healthiest foods. We ate Westphalische Schinken, Westphalian ham, and Fatih pulled out bottles of his special sect. That German sparkling wine, better than champagne. So everyone wished, Alles Gute zum Geburtstag. Everything good on your birthday. A German version of happy birthday. And they had me repeat my stories about the trips to Berlin and about drinking from the boot. Yep, my year in Germany was winding down. It's time to thank my sponsor, Anashira. Everybody at the company is excited now.
because soon I'll be milking Mama and Razzie, and we'll have lots of delicious fresh goat milk. Not only do I use it to make soaps, but we drink it, oh, cold. I make cheese with it, the simple chevre, the kind you find in the expensive cheese section, not with Kraft or Velveeta. Please don't forget Easter. It's not too late to send a gift to someone special. I was looking at some suggestions. Easter fun treat jars. What? Bunnies gather here. Galvanized tub. Uh-uh. Happy Easter popcorn tin. Nope. Hippity-hoppity Easter gourmet gift. Oh, man. If you want something special, go to anashira.com and buy several bars of my handcrafted goat milk soaps. Put them in a basket with some of that colorful Easter grass, and voila, you have something very, very unique. I told you how we went down 3,000 feet into one of those deep shaft coal mines in Oberhausen. I've just read that at the end of last year, the last deep shaft coal mine in Germany was closed. Seven miners stepped out of a metal cage at the Prosperlhaniel mine right outside of Oberhausen. Straining to hold back tears, they handed a football-sized piece of coal to President Franz Walter Steinmeier, the last chunk of coal that would ever be brought out of a deep German coal mine. On it were written the words, Glück auf, the ancient miner's greeting. When I was there, the industry dominated the region. It had employed half a million people 10 years before I got there. These mines survived really because of huge government subsidies. Germany's coal mining industry had received more than 40 billion euros. That's $46 billion U.S. in federal funds since 1998 and are scheduled to receive another $2.7 billion through 2022. The polluted Oberhausen that I knew is no longer there. Further vast sums have been spent on economic development in the region which helped provide growth in universities, research facilities, and tech startups. Oberhausen is now a tourist destination. We had a big series of storms pass through here yesterday. We got almost an inch of rain. The sun is shining today, but it's still cold. I made a fire in the fireplace this morning. The wild dogwoods are blooming all around the hills. Clifton just stopped by for a cup of coffee and to give me some advice on my goats. I get a lot of advice. That's the dogwood squall that we had yesterday, he said. You see, the old legends say that every year when the dogwoods bloom, there will be a cold snap with rain or even snow squalls. Join me next time for more news about my four little goats. I'll also tell you about my farewell to Germany in my next Stories from Anashiro.